What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you on a Tuesday evening. Brandon Marcus here, Matt Matawarren there. The Clippers are coming off a hell of a win against the Boston Celtics. We're going to break it all down. Matt was there at the Crypt, whatever you want to call it, old Staples Center, and he witnessed the Clippers win. So we'll check out what his experience was like. Remember, folks, go ahead, check out us on Twitter, at BD Marcus, for myself, at Matt Matawarren. Of course, you got the Ethos Clippers podcast handle as well. Matt, how are you, my friend? Brandon Marcus, Sports Ethos Clipper Nation. How the heck are you? I'm great. I'm a little chilly here on a, on a frigid night in L.A., but I am warm inside because yesterday was amazing. So much fun. Everything I could have wanted from going to see the game live at the Crypt, at the Staples. It was amazing. All right. So let's talk about the atmosphere first before we get to the game itself. Ooh. Because what's interesting about Clippers home games is that normally you see a lot of the opposing fans. And that was the case once again in a game like this with Boston being a very major team that has transplants in L.A., whether it's a team like the Warriors, the Celtics, you're always going to get opposing fans when their team especially is good. So what was that like yesterday? Because we've seen that happen before where the opponent's fans are there and the Clippers lose because they're not playing well, obviously, but it doesn't help if the fans are in their corner. What's it? What was it like yesterday? It was wild. It, it, it was a, a truly a house divided, which quite honestly is sort of an upgrade from what it used to be. Years ago, if Boston were to come to town or when Boston were to come to town, it'd be like a 75-25, maybe even an 80-20 in favor of Boston. Just a sea of green. But this time, because of all the Boston transplants and you know the Celtics are, are very traditionally a popular team, I would say it was about 50-50. But man, it was right there on the borderline, 50-50. And it was a crazy atmosphere. I mean, cheers, boost, chants going on. I don't know if it came across over TV, but let's go Celtics, followed by let's go Clippers. Um, it was a fun atmosphere, not not so much animosity. Uh, in fact, I saw a lot of um, a lot of people where there was one clip, one person in all Clippers gear showing up to the game with one person in all Celtics gear. Uh, even my friend Matt, him and his girlfriend, she's from Boston, the Boston area. He's from here in LA. They showed up to root for their respective teams. So it was a great atmosphere. I don't know how great it would have been had the Celtics beat the Clippers. But in a win, what an atmosphere. It was crazy. It was yeah, really fun. It certainly helps when the team is winning. And you get a lot of that here in L.A. where you've got someone who's from Boston that's with somebody obviously from L.A. Um, so it's, it was cool to see that there are so many Fans of both teams that were there, I mean, obviously you'd like to have it where it's just majorly just your team, but when you live in LA and you have so many transplants, that's going to happen. And I mean, you would see that at the Lakers game, I bet you tonight, um, if there'd be a bunch of Boston fans there, it's especially since it's cheaper to go to a Clippers game than it is to go to a Lakers game. And so when you have a back-to-back like there is today for Boston playing against the Lakers after playing last night against the Clippers... If you're a Boston fan, you're going to go to the game most likely that's cheaper. And traditionally, the cheaper game has been the Clippers, which is why you usually see the opposing team's fans at the Clippers game, because it's just a cheaper ticket. Listen, I know right now it's not looking great for the Clippers to win the NBA title, but if you want to get some good odds, 
for the Clippers to get those guys back and win some money, head over to my bookie. Which team has the best shot? We think it's the Clippers, obviously. Well, gotta tell you, if Kawhi and PG are back, I love those odds. If futures aren't your thing, it's been profitable betting player props this season, thanks to Anthony Davis. Yeah, I know, Anthony Davis, he's a Laker. And Steph Curry. Regardless of what you're betting on, cash in and cash out quick with my bookie using the promo code ETHOS when you make your first deposit. E-T-H-O-S, ETHOS. You heard that right. My bookie will spot you extra cash with your deposit, minimum $45. But you can claim the bonus all the way up to two. Thousand, you heard me. Two thousand turn game day into payday when you bet with my bookie. And speaking of that, there's there was like a smattering of uh, Lakers jerseys, you know, scattered throughout the uh, the arena as well. And I found them to actually be a little more hostile towards Boston because my thought is they came not to root for the Clippers, in, instead to root against Boston. Um, if that makes any sense, and they could probably yeah. afford the tickets more so than they could for tonight's game. So that was an interesting dynamic to see as well. That's so weird. Uh, I wouldn't expect that at all. I wonder if that's part of the uh, perhaps couples of a late uh, Clippers or Boston fan with a Clippers fan or a Lakers fan. And so they're just coming to the game because the Boston fan wants to see either both games or just one game. And so someone's wearing like, all right, fine, I'm going to a Clippers game as a Lakers fan, but I'm not going to wear a Clippers jersey and I'm going to wear my Lakers stuff. I wonder if it's that type of situation. There, there may have been some of that, but yeah. I, I can I can speak for the section directly in front of me. There were four Lakers uh, fans, four Laker guys, all there with their jerseys on and sort of just giving it to the to the Boston faithful in the crowd. Yeah, uh, much like I said, much more aggressively than any Clipper fan I saw. Interesting. Um, let's talk about the actual game. So first off, I want to preface it with this: you and I discussed how important Saturday's game was because it was the first game where everyone was going to be together uh, mostly healthy I mean obviously Norm Powell still out and I said that you had to win that game the Clippers did end up winning that game at Washington a team that they should have beaten 114 to 107 and interestingly enough in that game you got a very good Paul George performance where he was 13 of 27 he had 36 points five or 36 points seven rebounds six assists three steals two blocks just a monster performance by him he was five of 12 from three and with Kawhi, he played 30 minutes in that game, and he was 13 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, and a steal. And you and I talked about on the pod last week that we want to see those steals and blocks. And once those steals and blocks come, you know the defense is going to start to come around a little bit. But also nice to see that 13, 8, and 6. I mean, you're getting close to triple-double territory there. So it certainly seemed like Kawhi was starting to build in the right direction. And then last night happened, and I tweeted before, um, the guy tweeted a after the Washington game, saying, I expected to lose this game. Um, I was not expecting to beat a Boston team that's been outstanding. That being said, I didn't think they're going to be without Robert Williams and Al Horford. Um, and I do want to preface it with this. So the Clippers are a very good team. We know that, especially when healthy. But Boston, we talk about injuries and how the, you can't evaluate the Clippers because there's been games without Kawhi, without PG. Well, you can't quite say this game is we're beating Boston when they don't have their two big men in Robert Williams and in Al Horford. I think that changes the game a lot defensively, and the Clippers obviously were outstanding offensively yesterday. So I want to start with that. Before we get to the actual positive play of Kawhi and PG, your thoughts on the win over Boston and 
how much of a win it is, how great of a win it is. Granted that Boston is without two guys in Al Horford and in Robert Williams, but they still obviously had Tatum and Smart and Brown, but not quite the same, Matt. Not quite the same, and, you know, you make a great point. Obviously, it's a fantastic win, arguably the best win of the season, and I, I think it is. But when you're when you're starting Blake, um, who who got a nice ovation from the crowd, just to go back to the uh, to the audience there. When you're when you're starting Blake at center and he's playing 21 minutes and doing Blake stuff and he's at this stage of his career, uh, you know you have Noah Vonley coming in for a few minutes to back him up. Luke Cornett is the main backup at center. It's not going to be the exact picture that you're going to get from the Celtics. Having said that, they've been without. Uh, the Time Lord Robert Robert Williams all year, yeah. Um, so it, you know, and and they've been just gangbusters and the best offense, you know, almost in NBA history with Horford in there. So while, while yes, it's not their full allotment of players, I it's still a fantastic win, um, as far as I'm concerned. But you're not going, yeah, you're not going against the exact squad. You would have rotations, I'm sure, would have been a bit different. Uh, yeah, and like, God, God love them. But uh, Blake, Blake, Blake as their primary big man, did didn't really do them any favors, uh, and that was fairly obvious throughout the game. Just elaborating on that, Blake was a minus twenty in twenty one minutes, so that tells you how poorly he played. I mean, the guy was obviously very good when he was with the Clippers, and he's not quite the same player, especially defensively. And one thing we know about this Clippers team is they've got one of the best small ball teams in the entire NBA, and when you don't have a traditional big man that's good defensively, they're going to go ahead and they're going to bench Zoo because Zoo didn't play very much yesterday. He only played 17 minutes. He was a plus 14 in those 17 minutes, but you're going to go ahead and you're going to be able to play Batum 27 minutes. You can play Luke Kennard 26 minutes, and you can do a lot with those guys. Um, just to give you an idea, by the way, of how the Boston's done the last four games without Al Horford, beat Toronto in Toronto, also beat Phoenix in that whooping by 27, then lost at Golden State, and then lost to the Clippers last night. Let's also keep in mind that this is now game five of a six-game road trip against the Clippers yesterday, and this is game six tonight um, of a six-game road trip at the Lakers. So it's starting to wind down on this road trip, and you start to see teams kind of get to the point where it's time to get back home, and it kind of feels like that's the case for Boston, um, at least it was yesterday against the Clippers. And Let's give the Clippers credit. I mean, their defense has been very good. They're in the top five in defensive rating in the NBA. At least they have been. And they showed it yesterday. I mean, they have done a really nice job on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown throughout the last couple of years. And Tatum was 7 of 20. He was just not good at all. The Clippers were great defensively on him. Marcus Smart and Derek White were useless. They were 2 of 9 combined. So I, I think the Clippers' defense is something that needs to be discussed. I haven't really seen it discussed a ton. Um, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about Kawhi Leonard since last night, but I do think the Clippers' defense needs to be discussed as well, and part of that certainly has to do with the small ball, and when the Clippers are able to play Nick Batum and play Marcus Morris in those small ball lineups, and there's not much on the other side in the post position, like a guy like Blake Griffin, I mean, not a whole lot, like you say, Grant Williams and Luke Cornett, they're, they're, it's easier for the Clippers' guards to be active and also for a guy like Kawhi to play down low and be active all over the place defensively. Yeah, it the the defense 
yeah, as hot as as hot as Kawhi was offensively, and 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 Paul George and every, everybody, did, it, it was the defense that really stifled the Celtics and didn't really allow them to get into any kind any kind of rhythm to, whatsoever. It was frustration across the board. Uh, I mean, Tatum ended up with 20, 20 and eleven, but it was a tough twenty and eleven. Let me tell you. And sa- same with Jalen Brown, uh, twenty one points, four boards, couple of assists here. Nine of fifteen from the field, but he earned every single point of that, and uh, and you know they had to rely a lot on Grant heavily on Grant Williams, who was doing a little bit offensively for them, drawing some fouls. But it was it was certainly the defense that that disrupted everything, and then allowed allowed the Clippers to get into their sets, uh, gain a bit of confidence, and and really and that's what that's what the Clippers are going to need to fall back on because. I was thinking about the the previous games. I mean, you know, the game against the games against Miami, uh, I, the game against Miami. I thought the defense was terrible. Uh, even that last game against the Wizards that they won, the, the the defense left something to be desired. But 15 turnovers to the Celtics. I'm just looking at the Wizards game here versus 10, causing those turnovers. Uh, just just being very disruptive, I would say, uh, defensively is something that what was a pleasure to see and is going to pay dividends in the end. I mean, the Celtics really just couldn't get anything going. They went on a mi- one or two minor runs, but like you said, Marcus Smart, worthless Derek White, couldn't do anything, and it, it, it was a pleasure to see. Malcolm Brogdon was very good, but I, Brogdon I, was good. I like Brogdon a lot. It's just one of those things, when you have the ability to play all of your athletic dudes together and you can play Batum and Kawhi and PG all together you're going to hound defenses and you need to have a big man at times that can cause problems and when you have that big man on the floor that means that you probably need Zoo on the floor and when that happens that's one less of those wing stop type guys that you can have on the floor and you're obviously going to have a guard there's no doubt about that but I mean, you've got to think that the Clippers want to have as many of their scorers and long athletic guys that can switch on the floor as possible. But then when you have Zoo on the floor and you have a guy like John Wall on the floor, Reggie Jackson on the floor, then it limits it to just three. You know what I'm saying? So it, it it's interesting how the Clippers match up in certain situations. And I think yesterday was just a really good matchup. Yesterday was a really good matchup. You know, Kawhi being the center of gravity that he is, you you really did see, and I, I tweeted this out at halftime. You really did see just how everything sort of falls into place. And I and, and I know I know we we were going to wait to get to the Kawhi thing, but it's kind of hard. Sure, let's get when, to when it. When he did, go ahead. Let's when he get did to play, it. when he when he did play so well, and you saw, you know, you saw senior. Um, sure, he only had thirteen points, but he's also a plus eighteen. He, you know, six of eight from the field. And he didn't have to do too much. Um, Paul George. Uh, was it two? He only had two turnovers. You know, we were, we've been talking about that a lot. He mm-hmm. put up 22 shots. He didn't make a whole lot of them, eight out of 22, but that's okay. He got the, the line nine times. But it's this calming presence of Kawhi and who Kawhi, who looked to me more focused. Uh, the the spring and the step and the agility is not all the way back um, yet, and that's that's fairly obvious. But but the drive, the determination, and it it just let everybody sort of play the role that they're supposed to. In this game, Zoo was on the bench for most of it uh, because of a foul trouble. 
and B, like you said, we were just getting uh, our wings in there and, and rotating heavily. But it was, it was it, it, it's the first time I really felt, and I think I've mentioned this term, I think I've said this before, um, but the real gravitational pull that uh, Kawhi and a superstar of his caliber has went on the floor, and you could really sense it um, in the game last night. Um, one thing I want to touch on before we get to Kawhi, and you brought up the turnovers, and we have discussed this before, and I discussed it with Shane, when the Clippers lost by five to Miami in that game, the Clippers had 16 turnovers, Miami had eight, and Miami got 10 more shots off, and there's the difference. I mean, it, it really is that simple when it's that close of a game, and another team takes 10 more shots, you're going to lose, most likely. And in yesterday's game, you mean more cl- shots the Clippers had in Boston? How about 14 more shots? And when you have 14 more shots than your opponent and you turn over the basketball only nine total times in a game to a piece for PG and Kawhi who have the ball a lot, that's a great sign. And I think you and I have talked about it, that they really do help each other with Kawhi and PG and how they both have the ball a lot and they're both playing that assisting role that when they have each other, the ability to have defenses not focus on one over the other helps their ability to turn it over. I mean, you remember yesterday in that game when Paul George drew the double team and he threw it to half court, and it was a backcourt violation, but they didn't call it because it went. they thought that the, uh, the ref thought it hit Marcus Smart. It didn't. That would have been a turnover, and that would have been when PG got double teamed, which, again, the Clippers have not figured out how to solve that. But the two guys, Kawhi and PG, just help each other so much when they're on the floor that I think it does limit the turnovers. And when you limit the turnovers, you get more shots from better players. I mean, it really seems like a simple equation, Matt, but it's so funny when you just say it like that. You don't turn over the basketball, more shots for good players, and that should equal a win. It's so simple. You just hope that the Clippers can replicate that formula. It seems simple. It I guess it's harder to put into practice, but you know, with Kawhi there and ostensibly running running the point for uh, for a lot of a lot of possessions, it it, it tends to be an, an easier task. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure for the guys. And uh, yeah, and I'm looking at I'm looking at something that jumps out to me too here as 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 we're perusing over the box score. You know, before we get into if if we're going to talk more about Kawhi himself. Yeah. Something that we talked about a week ago or about a week and a half ago on the pod were were the the other the the younger guys the uh, the Boston uh, the Brandon Bostons the the Coffees the uh, my guy Moses Brown the Diabates of the world yeah you kind of saw in the minutes distribution here really how it's supposed how it's supposed to be is kind of a strong term but just how really when the rotation shrinks in important games. And as the season moves along, really where the minutes distribution is gonna is is gonna lie. Um, of course, Covington didn't play, and and Norm Norm Powell was out. But Diabate, Brown, Coffee, and Boston combined for 14 minutes. Everybody else, you know, Zoo had the least with 17. Everybody else is over 20. John Wall at 19. But you get what I'm saying. It was you you see the rotation coming into form already, yeah. or the minutes distribution and how it's probably going to be moving forward which was a great point that you brought up um about the young players and not getting too in love with the kind of minutes that they were getting and how it's really going to shake out when it 
when, it, when it's all said and done. Spot on. And those minutes came in garbage time. So if you really look at the actual rotation yesterday, it was a nine-man rotation. And the bench guys were Wall, Man, Kennard, and Batum. And one of these days, you're going to have Powell that'll be thrown in. And I, when we get to the point where Powell's back, we can have the conversation of who does he replace as that ninth player. Um, because you're not going to go 10 deep. It's just not going to happen. And the reason why I don't want to have that conversation right now is because the, the Clippers have had so many injuries this season that it might just make the decision by itself. I mean, we might just see somebody get hurt, and all of a sudden, Norm Powell just replaces that person. Now, if the Clippers are totally healthy, then we can have that conversation of who should be the guy that should drop out of the rotation because Robert Covington, Covington didn't even play yesterday. And we thought that he would be a member of that nine-man rotation. So it's going to change from night to night. And we even saw in the playoffs last year where Luke Kennard's not used, and then he is used. Terrence Mann's not used, then he is used. So we'll see what happens. And I think the Clippers may opt not to have one of those point guards used um, when you have the ball in the hands of PG and Kawhi so often, whether that means Reggie Jackson's not used or John Wall's not used. Who knows? But it's, I don't think that's a conversation we need to have now. But it, it, you're right. I mean, the, what we saw yesterday from Ty Lue was a playoff rotation and he played nine guys and he was able to play nine guys even with his center his starting center only playing 17 minutes and it tells you where the Clippers want to be and it was a good indication of what we saw yesterday what the Clippers can be when healthy and obviously going back to what we've talked about the last several weeks if healthy and speaking of which it's a great transition to Kawhi Leonard and what he did yesterday I mentioned at the start of the pod we started to kind of get glimpses of what Kawhi was building up to in the last couple of games. And in the game against Washington, he was flirting kind of close to a triple-double, and he got that steal where he gets another steal yesterday, and he ends up with 25 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, and more importantly, 10 of 12 from the field. Super efficient. He was pulling off moves left and right. He was getting to his spots, hit a couple of threes as well. I think we got as close to... Kawhi being back as possible in that game yesterday, Matt. How did it look from in person from your point of view? From person, from a fantasy team perspective, because I'm never going to let anybody forget I traded That's for Kawhi. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> a while ago. And so, you know, um, he looked he looked as much like like the Kawhi that we all remember from up until Joe Ingles and the Utah series and, and, and prior to that, he, he looked fantastic. And, and to go to rotational um, stuff with Kawhi too, to, to talk about rotations and Kawhi, I found it so interesting. And I, I was remarking uh, with my friends who was at the game with the first substitution that Ty Lue made, Kawhi stayed in there in, in the first, in the first quarter. And it was actually Paul and Reggie, I believe who came out first. I just found that interesting and encouraging that you know, it's not immediately like once the midway point of the first quarter hits, Kawhi, you gotta you gotta hit the bench so we can we can see about your minutes limit. No, they left him in uh, to to run you know the, what was left of the first unit and the second coming in. So I thought that was really cool to see. It kind of stood out to me just that Kawhi, you know, the first chance of a substitution, he wasn't the one to go out. And then throughout the game, he was, you know. As menacing as as he could as, as you could call Kawhi because he was just controlling the ball. He was doing his, his, his a couple of patented Kawhi fadeaways. He's getting other people involved, just making the right decision. You know, as much as I love Paul George, I feel like when he 
and again, this is something I was talking about with my buddies. When when he when he drives into the lane, Paul George, you get worried. Like we, the ball could come loose at, at at any moment. But Kawhi seems to just have a little bit more of a split decision. Uh, he's, he's just making the correct decision. The ball is a little more secure. It sticks with him. And he passed it out a few times when he got in trouble into the lane, and it ended up working out most of the time. It was it was excellent to see, and there was a there was a you could just tell with with the fifty percent of Clippers fans that were there when Kawhi was on the floor, and especially when he would come back onto the floor, a sigh of relief, a sense of safety, so to speak. It really felt like our guy was you know maybe for the first time finally here to to steer the ship. So the sub thing that you just mentioned, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, Ty Lue treating this as if it was going to be his normal nine-man rotation in a playoff game. And what that means is that he's going to go and make sure that one of Kawhi or PG is on the floor almost all the time. And that's what he did yesterday in that he was able to sub PG out, kept Kawhi on, which is interesting. Like you said, that Kawhi was the one that stayed on the floor because he wants him to have a longer stretch on the floor. And then he was able to bring PG on the floor later while he gave Kawhi a rest. And I think that's important. And you need to have, be able to have the offense work with both PG and Kawhi on the floor and also with just one of those two guys on the floor. And the subs is something that Ty Lue is going to have to get right if the Clippers want to be successful. I mean, we've talked about how tough the coaching job it's going to be this season for him. And so it's great that he was able to stick with Kawhi early, not sub him out, let him get comfortable in the game. And that was really important. And he was a plus 23 in 29 minutes. And he looked really confident, which I think was really important. There were a couple of moments where he just looked like a guy that was not afraid of contact. And if he fell, he got back up. And if he was open, he was taking a shot. And there were times where he just took a guy into the post and he had no fear. And that's the Kawhi that the Clippers need. And the scary thing is that's not even the level that he can reach. Now, will he ever reach the level that he was at when he won the title in Toronto? I don't know. And I don't think we're going to find that out until we get to the postseason and we see if Kawhi is healthy and if he's able to get to that level based on how his leg's feeling. So what is encouraging, though, is that this is a Clippers team that made it to the Western Conference Finals without Kawhi Leonard. And so if you just add even a 75% of what he was against Toronto Kawhi Leonard, this is a team that can make the NBA Finals. And you and I were talking about last week, It's we got stopped talking about this team as a title contender because of injuries, but we got a glimpse yesterday of what this team could be when healthy, the biggest issue obviously is when healthy. So we'll see. Yeah, there. No, no need to to go so far as to say, well, they're back. They're now a, a title contender. Yeah. Um, if you listen, if anybody listens to uh, to the Clippers games on uh, on the radio, they always introduce them as the odds-on favorite to win the title. And uh, well, we can't necessarily say that at the moment. But yeah. you were right. It is a great glimpse at to at, at what we can now hopefully remaining healthy and getting even healthier with Norm Powell coming back. What can be built built on and built towards as uh, as the season progresses. And I do want to mention something that goes kind of with Kawhi being back and being at the level that he's at is you and I were talking last week about Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson and how those guys have been used a ton 
and they're just not shooting very well. Well, Marcus Morris, 6 of 8. Reggie Jackson, just 3 of 8. That's where he should be, by the way. He should not be taking 20 shots. And Reggie Jackson was a plus 24 in 27 minutes. And Marcus Morris was a guy that was able to just be that third option and not be that number one option that he's certainly capable of being, but not in an efficient manner. So I think Kawhi being back to the level that he was at yesterday along with PG being the guy that he's been since coming back from injury and even before injury. I mean, he really has not skipped much of a beat allows Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson to be in their roles. And they, they thought that I thought they looked pretty good yesterday. They didn't need to do too much. And they were able to fit in around those two guys. Same with guys like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard, who did what they needed to do yesterday. So I think that's certainly also a positive Matt is of Kawhi being back as the role players are kind of getting more comfortable in their positions and they're not having to do as much as they had to do before. Agreed. And I I did notice that you left out John Wall, who didn't really look all that great to me yeah, last he, night. He was um some some poor decisions, I thought. And when it when 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 the Clippers weren't running, when when he was in charge of a half court set, it 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 sort of seemed to get a bit stagnant to me. So I think it's just something to keep an eye on. It maybe it's maybe it's just an aberration. Maybe it's because just last night, but to me that did stand out in one sort of non-positive tick in the uh, in the gameplay last night. Yeah, the one thing is with John Wall, and he had it with back-to-back possessions where he came down, he had a jumper from about 15 feet, and he drilled it, and then he gets all the space again, and he takes it and he misses it. And the thing with John Wall is that he's going to be given that space because he's just not that good of a shooter. And there are going to be games where he hits some of those. But you're better off running the offense and attacking the hoop and causing defenders to come to you to then pass to guys like PG and Kawhi and even Batum, Marcus Morris, Mann, Kennard. The more the ball moves, the better the look you're going to get and the more likely the ball is going to go in. So if, if you're John Wall... This is not a team where you need to be playing ISO. Like that's just if a guy's if their team's giving you space, there's a reason for it. And last night he had the third most shots, and that's usually not going to be a recipe for success. Um, so he's got to be more efficient as well, and kind of take the page out of Reggie Jackson, and you know just do what you need to do, and don't do too much. Um, so yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. And just and and when I said a couple of poor decisions, you nailed it right on the head. Is it's those pull-ups, those like mid-range pull-ups that, you know, John Wall ten, sees sees one go down, he tends to fall in love with it. And, and like you said, when he, when he's attacking, when he's attacking, when he's attacking, that's where we want him. But yeah, that ISO pull-up ball that that senior is so good at, not necessarily John Wall's game or what we want to see him doing. Yeah, and, and for the Clippers to do what they did yesterday with Zoo only getting four points and three rebounds, it just kind of shows you the type of game that they were in and the matchup that it was. But, I mean, when you have a small team on the other side, you can go ahead and play Marcus Morris and have him go one-on-one with a guy like Grant Williams or Luke, Conor- Luke Cornett and see what he can do. And Mook was good yesterday. And the game that we saw yesterday from Marcus Morris is the reason why you want to have a guy like Marcus Morris on your team Remember, there was a decision at one point. Do you bring in Marcus Morris and re-sign him to that four-year, I believe it was $64 million deal, um, or 84 one of the two. Um, I forget which one. Uh, or do you want to go ahead and sign Jermichael Green? And there was a lot of chatter that, hey, the Clippers should just re-sign Jermichael Green. But I-, I was saying at the time, the issue is that Jermichael Green's not a guy that can go and get you 30 points in the game. Marcus Morris is. He's more of a... Sp- uh, 
space, uh, floor spacers, Jermichael Green, whereas Marcus Morris can go and get his own shot. And we saw yesterday Marcus Morris was able to go one-on-one at times and take advantage of the situation. So um, I like having Marcus Morris on this team. I like having him as that third or fourth option. And I think yesterday we saw what the Clippers can be when everybody has a certain role. What did you, uh, and I agree with you 100% about senior over Jermichael, Marcus able to create, to get his own. Uh, what did you think about when, I don't know if you saw it, I'm sure you did, when Blake tried to Mozgov Zoo? You know, I actually missed that. I, uh, I think oh, I, you did? Yeah, I think I may have been putting my kid to sleep or eating dinner, but I saw people talk about it um, on Twitter. So I didn't actually see that. By the way, Marcus Morris, four years, $64 million. Um, but that's funny that he did try to do that. And then it was it was called a, um, he what did he do? He hung on the rim or something like that, or he put his hand underneath the rim. Um, I actually see the play. Go ahead and tell me about I, it. Well, actually, so I, I I think that's two different plays. Oh, okay, when okay, when yeah. he was when he was going to try to try to throw down, and it's the classic Blake where he's over the rim and he throws it in. Uh, he was trying to do that. He from from my vantage point, and now of course I'm speaking as a Clippers fan. It looked to me as if he hooked Zoo with the arm, which Blake is wont to do to get a little more leverage to get up that high, especially at this point. You know, it, it was it was a little nostalgic moment to see him sort of use any kind of leverage he could to get up. And then on the other end, he blocked. Um, Blake had a great block. Was it on Terrence Mann? It may have been on Mann. And that's when it was a lot of confusion because at first the the Celtics crowd was going nuts when when Blake delivered that block. Then then there's a timeout. Then the points, then the points are on the big on the scoreboard as if the basket counted. Then the points came off. The announcer said it's an official 30 second timeout. We never really got any explanation. Then all of a sudden, Paul George is at the line, shooting a technical free throw. So I, I'm still kind of confused as to what happened on that one. By the way, I just watched the highlight, and that is classic Blake using the off arm to mm-hmm. hold on to the other team um, team's guy so that he prevents the block from happening. I mean, he puts his arm on zoo to get leverage and that's exactly what he did with mozgov and what he's done with several other guys on dunks like that so typical blake that i mean but that shows you goes back to the start of our conversation he's not quite the same blake that he was before i mean old blake is able to put that in and the thing is he still has the athleticism he's just not as quick and i don't know and that extra little step that you need um, he couldn't get it, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's Blake. I'm sure he wanted to put on a show for the fans. Um, he loves the Clippers fans, I think in his time in LA. And I thought Joey Lynn did a really nice job, um, in a little small article for SI talking about Blake's return. And he got a couple of quotes from Blake and talked about his admiration for Clippers fans. And it, it's, it was nice to see him yesterday. And I mean, I'm glad he didn't put that dunk down to add to the poster collection, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it, I'll always love Blake and I'll would you, always love having him around. Would you consider, is there, is there any, any possibility in your mind that the Clippers retire Blake's Jersey? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's possible. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers, um, end up retiring, um, Blake CP three and Deandre, those three guys. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, because I think those three guys have just been more so crucial to that Lob City era and just a whole decade of the Clippers just being at the level that they were at. I mean, look at what the Clippers right. did to keep DJ in a Clippers uniform. 
um, in that infamous evening in his house, locking him in. Um, it's just those three guys were critical to what the Clippers did. So I, I think it's certainly possible. Yeah, and you know, if you want to throw Zelko Rabacha in the mix, retire that one too. It's fine with me. But who? <laughs> you don't know. You remember Rabacha? Oh, Zelko Rabacha, um, big center. I don't know. I was trying to think of the most random Clipper name I could bring up to throw into the mix with the retired jerseys. So, oh, well, why don't you, and, and Eric, I guess it worked because he said who? <laughs> why don't you do Eric, Eric Pikeowski while you're at it? Yeah, Pike Pike could be in there too. <laughs> little, little Craig Smith action. Oh gosh, gosh. Um, what Ryan goes. Oh, now, see now you're going. Now now we could do this all day and all night. And, uh, <laughs> okay. there, yeah, well, we'll there, stop while we're ahead. There were some bad ones. Might as well do Chris Kamen. Um, all right. So, anything else you want to hear from yesterday? I thought we uh, we talked about Kawhi a lot. We talked about the role players. Um, PG, just PG. I mean, he didn't have a great shooting performance, but I thought the confidence that he had, and he's still able to get 26 points. And what you and I all, I think I talked about it with um, with Shane actually, the free throw attempts for Paul George. And he was hit three. He had three attempts in one of those two games last week, and then the back-to-back, he had four in the other. So that's seven free throws in two games combined. He had nine free throw attempts yesterday. So I think that's what you want to see. Kawhi. I mean, PG Morat is the aggressiveness. The nine free throw attempts is a good sign. So I thought, all things considered, I mean, you go up and down the lineup of guys that you want to see what they're doing and what their role is. Reddy Jackson filled his role. PG was able to get to the line and do his thing offensively and defensively. Mook did the same thing. Kawhi was great. I thought the Clippers, just each guy, you could talk about how good they were in their role and what we saw yesterday and how what they did yesterday is going to be important to what the Clippers can do um, later on and have success. Absolutely. And just speaking of the guys playing their roles and the importance Nick Batum was everywhere, and he's so important, so important to this team. 27 minutes. The, the, the stats weren't all there, but believe me, you, you, you watch the gameplay, and he he is everywhere, right place, right time. Batum was Batum was awesome. I mean, it was he he was a it says he's a plus three. It looked like he was a plus thirty three. He was yeah. he was fantastic out there. Yeah, he he's just great at what he does. I mean, he rebounds the basketball. He's great defensively. He's long. He's athletic. Um, he just fills the role perfectly for the Clippers and what they need him to do as that small ball five, and then just a perfect complement with guys like Kawhi and PG. Um, we don't talk about him a ton, but he he's just one of those guys that you can throw right up there with. Um, Zoo as probably the third most important Clipper um, behind Kawhi and PG. I mean, what Batum does, both offensively and more importantly defensively, is critical. And you saw that yesterday when the Clippers winning by 20. And now the question is, can the Clippers do it again? And I think that's the thing that's been most frustrating as a Clipper fan this season is that the Clippers go and they beat Cleveland and they beat Boston. And then they go and they lose games that they have no business losing, Matt. Like, that, that's that been the frustrating thing with this Clippers team. They'll lose at Orlando, and they'll get blasted at home against Sacramento, and they'll lose a, a game that they have no business losing at Oklahoma City twice. But then you go and you beat Boston, you beat Cleveland. It just makes no sense. And now you play Minnesota and Phoenix in a back-to-back, and then you play Washington and Charlotte. I mean, if you play like that, there's no reason why the Clippers can't win three of the next four at minimum. But the question is, will they? And that's the big question. You, yeah, you would hope so. It's it, it's funny. We're, we're talking about the Lob City Clippers. So it, it just reminds me, and I felt that 
a, a lot of times back back in back in that back in those days with with Blake with CP3 with DJ uh with Reddick with, 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 with whoever was on the team at the time they did play up or down to their competition and then maybe that was because they overlooked games uh and they got up for the ones that they felt were sort of playoff caliber I'm not saying that this team is doing that but it does just sort of since we were talking about Lob City and playing up and down to your competition where you should probably just you know win the games you're supposed to win and then be as competitive as possible in the games that are going to be as competitive as possible. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, if you're going to be a good team and you want to be considered a serious contender, you need to win games against opponents that you should win against. And um, I don't expect the Clippers to win in that second game of the back-to-back against Phoenix. I expect to see Kawhi rested, and I expect Phoenix to have the benefit of the doubt because, once again, the Clippers will be playing the Suns on the second night of a back-to-back while the Phoenix Suns are not playing the night before. So the Phoenix Suns have the rest advantage there. So I would be surprised um, if the Clippers go and win that game. That being said, DeAndre Ayton apparently is now hurt. um, And Cameron Payne left the game today hurt as well. Devin Booker has been out. So it really just depends who's available for Phoenix. But with a full, healthy Phoenix team, um, I don't think the Clippers win that game without Kawhi Leonard. But you certainly have a chance to win the next four games in a row and have this be a six-game winning streak and this be the start of when your season turns. And I, I think that this is certainly a moment that we might look back on, Matt, as when the season changed for the Clippers. And I mentioned how important that Washington game was to get the win, and they got the win and then built momentum going into the Boston game. They got the win against Boston, and now can you carry it forward for the next four home games before a difficult road trip? And so we're going to see what the Clippers are made of in these next four games and what type of team this is, and I'm looking forward to it. And just a, a, one more thing on the Suns game. Here's what I'm going to say, and, and we can revisit this on on Friday, Saturday, whenever the case may be. Paul George is going to have 37 points in that game because I know that he has a bad taste in his mouth from the conference final, finals from a couple of years back against the Suns. Paul George is going off in that game. Mark my words. All right, he's calling it now. Matt Matt Warren on Twitter. Last time we had a goal to get him to 100 followers. And we did, and now we're going to see what his follower count is before we say goodbye. As my fat fingers clip, keep clicking enter, he's at 118. So our goal now is to get him at 125 before the next podcast. At Matt Mattawarren on Twitter, I'm at BD Marcus. Of course, at Ethos Clippers. If you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast, certainly does help. If you want to interact with either of us, feel free. Um, and we would greatly appreciate it. So, Matt, any final thoughts? An amazing win, an amazing time talking to you, Brandon, an amazing time for all the fans that were at the game, Celtics and Clippers, mostly Clippers, and let's let's hope that this is the, the stepping stone, the start to the season that we all hope and believe that these Clippers can have. Indeed, we'll be back at some point during this homestand. He is Matt, I am Brandon. Until next time, go Clips. Go Clips.